Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast, where we cover the news of the community and learn from each other. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, the Erlang Ecosystem Foundation had their votes for members, and the results are in. So I have a link to this in the show notes where you can check it out. There are cohorts of board members. So what was just voted in is cohort A, and that consists of Francesco Cesarini, Sebastian Strollo, Alastair Woodman, and Amos King. So next year, they're going to be voting for cohort B. So if you'd like to be involved and contributing to the community in that way, that's a, a great way to do that. Congrats to all the new members. Yay, you have more responsibility. <laughs> next up, Livebook 0.9 was released and has a really short blog post to accompany it. We'll drop the link in the show notes. What they changed isn't really clear. They say, over the coming weeks, we'll be sharing more information about these exciting new additions. And that's pretty much what they say. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they just wanted to drop the release and go on vacation and they didn't have time to write about it. I don't know. <laughs> it is worth noting, though, that they moved their Docker images to GitHub and they included some notes for what that might involve for you to upgrade. I do know maybe a little bit that they're changing. I noticed a, a difference I updated myself. Don't spoil it. Just can't go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> it, it isn't ready. I can't actually use it, but it looks like they're preparing the way for team-based sharing. So they're calling it hubs. So now I see a new like hubs area you know, on the sidebar so I can share these notebooks with a specific team. So I think that's what they're getting ready for. I think they talked about it before, but starting to materialize. I'm I'm very excited about it. It's a, it's a great team tool. Livebook has been really good. Well, another thing that they teased about an upcoming Livebook enhancement was the chatbot conversations feature was going to be coming. Yeah. So maybe some groundwork was being laid for that too. I've always wanted to speak to a numbat. <laughs> maybe that's what they're doing. <laughs> just Just kidding. <laughs> You mentioned that they're moving from Docker Hub to GitHub. So let's get a little update on that whole Docker drama follow-up. So Docker released another blog post. The short title is that they're no longer sunsetting the free team plan. That's great news. So here's a quote from them. After listening to feedback and consulting with our community, it's clear that we made the wrong decision in sunsetting our free team plan. So last week, we felt our communications were terrible, but our policy was sound. Debatable. Okay. <laughs> it's now clear that both the communications and the policy were wrong, so we're reversing course and no longer sunsetting the free team plan. Continuing a quote, if you're currently on the free team plan, you no longer have to migrate to another plan by April 14th. And that for customers who are already upgraded to the paid plan because of this, they will automatically receive a full refund. I don't think this is the end uh, <laughs> of creating a profitable uh, business model. I think Docker already is profitable nowadays. They used to not be, and that was questionable, right? Like, how much can we rely on them being a central, you know, part of like developer infrastructure now? But I think nowadays they are profitable. They're all ebbs and flows, I'm sure. But now it looks like they're, re they're returning back to the drawing board. So I, I suspect we'll hear another wave of something, you know, another, another changes. Total speculation. We'll see. But that's good news, though, because Docker is indeed a central part of like developer and tooling infrastructure. It's, 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 it's part of how... I don't know, like every Docker, I call it Docker images, right? We call it Docker images. We don't call it containers as, as much, right? Maybe we should, but all, all of my, all my container images, like are pulling images from Docker. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a big deal, right? So uh, just a reminder though, about the whole Docker thing, Hex, PM, the, all the like base uh, Elixir images, they're still up there on Docker that I don't think that's changing. This mostly affected us in the way of 
well, everything else other than that and Livebook. Livebook was was the big one there. And they've already moved off to the GitHub container image repository. So you'll see that ghcr.io kind of URL now. That's That's GitHub's. And just continuing on with this idea of central things in the developer community, there was a big news with GitHub itself. So what would happen is when you'd go to pull your repo that was hosted on GitHub, you'd get this really scary warning that says, warning, remote host identification has changed. It is possible that someone is doing something nasty. Someone could be eavesdropping on you right now, man in the middle attack. It's also possible that a host key has just been changed. Well, thankfully, it was the latter and that GitHub host key was changed. And they released a blog post about it to kind of explain what happened and why they made this change. They said, we discovered that GitHub.com's RSA SSH private key was briefly exposed in a private GitHub repository. Uh Uh-oh, somebody checked in a private key. So if you've ever made a similar mistake where you've pushed a secret value or a secret config or something like that to your repo, at least you know you're in good company, right? But it's still something that has to be fixed. And so the blog post that we have linked in the show notes walks you through how to make the change to be allowed to continue pulling and pushing. So you've probably already resolved this by now, just by the time you've heard this, but uh, just an interesting thing that impacts a lot of us who are using GitHub. All right, next up, Elixir Stream diff generator was updated for awareness with Credo. So now there's this nice dropdown. You can select Credo and see what differences there is in the different Credo versions, and that can help you catch some new things when you're trying to upgrade Pretty cool tool. Some dude named David Bernheisel makes it for <laughs> us free of charge. David, I was actually kind of curious. How hard is it to add new projects? It looks like it's a manual thing. It is a little bit manual. It's not too terrible, though. Like It's manual for the sake of security. You have to define like that there's a new project, Credo in this case. You have to define that there's a generator command. So it's Credo gen config in this case. And then you have to come up with uh, some shell script that will run to get to the point where it can generate a diff. In this case, Credo was actually really easy because the oldest versions of Credo and the newest versions of Credo will all work on the newest version of Elixir. So I don't have to worry about like juggling different environments with, with Credo. So I'll actually drop down the commit that added support. It's not too much. So if there is a generator out there that you kind of want to have other folks listening it's not so bad. Yeah, I'm always open to contributions. I even have Rails and Webpacker in there. And as far as I know, it still works. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> looked at it in a while. I did run it like a month ago and it, it still worked. But, you know, things, things do change. <laughs> Fly.io. It's a great place to run Elixir apps. With many global regions, a private network that makes it easy to cluster your app, and a powerful CLI, it's something you should really try out. Experience it for yourself at fly.io. Well, next up is a new library called Haystack from Philip Brown. We interviewed Philip Brown uh, back in episode 133. He was uh, working on a company called Prize, had some ML characteristics to it. Well, anyway, he he is in the news again because he's building a full text search engine in Elixir. And it's called, I love it, Haystack. So it's a full text indexing library. You can add any kind of documents to it. You have to specify how to pull the text out right? But essentially, I'm going to do it. It will help you find the needle in the haystack. (laughs) Womp womp. All right. There's a comparable library out there today called Elastic Lunar. Looks like it works a little bit differently, but it's the same kind of idea where it's just full text search and it's pure elixir. 
I'm probably going to go adopt this. I use Elastic Lunar right now in Ecto in production, which is not released yet, but I use Elastic Lunar. I'll probably switch out to Haystack and see how it's going. Elastic Lunar is a little bit, a little bit slow. It looks really thorough. Great documentation. The blog post is also really a really great read, so you should go check that out. And next up, Paraxial, an Elixir-focused security consultancy, released a project for people to play with. It is called Potion Shop, and it is an open-source, vulnerable Elixir Phoenix app for security education. So there's a big disclaimer on there when you go check it out. It's like, do not publish or deploy this in your production environment because it is intentionally vulnerable and people can get at your underlying servers. So don't do that. But the purpose of this is a Phoenix application with intentional vulnerabilities to common web security issues such as RCE, remote code execution, XSS, and CSRF. So this lets people play with how to exploit a problem in a web app so they can become more aware of how this works and then be also learning how to avoid similar exploits and recognize them in their own apps that they're creating. So if this topic interests you, Michael Lubis will be training on it at a fully remote Elixir training on April 18th for ElixirConf EU. If you want more of this, the OWASP does the same thing with a thing called Juice Shop. So I'm assuming he's, that's kind of why it's named that, right? There's they launched the same thing. It's a nice juice shop website with all sorts of vulnerabilities for you to go dig in and find. And now we have one in our own framework and language. So that's pretty cool. As always, Phoenix Live View continues to update. And the biggest update lately was adding all those Tailwind CSS components, core components, all that stuff. And you have to put your heart out a little bit for all those book writers out there. <laughs> so one of, one of those book writers is... Bruce Tate and Sophie De Benedetto uh, with Programming Phoenix Live View, right? That's the whole subject of their book. So they've released a new update that covers all those recent changes. So it's great that they're not leaving it in the, in the dust like that. This is a huge update, so I, I can't imagine like the, the amount of work that they put into this. So if you haven't bought that book, you should go get that book because uh, they are obviously putting in a lot of care into it and making sure that it's up to date, especially as Phoenix Live View continues to climb over to version 1.0. Herman Valesco recently shared some cool tips as he's been doing frequently on Twitter. One of them was around a live view testing tip. It's less than a minute and he goes through talking about the different ways that you can test components. And he kind of shows one how you can use regular Heek syntax as you would in a normal template, which I didn't even know about and makes a lot more sense because it's like you're using it the way that you normally would, which feels just right. And his other tip was, about pagination. And he talks about how the new stream API can be used to set limits and skips on your repo and, and kind of go through your data. It looks kind of like he's implementing infinite scroll because I don't see him deleting anything, just infinitely appending. So that is something I've wondered about with the new stream API. So give it a look if you're interested in that kind of thing. And next, the Timescale library published a pseudo-stable version. It's no longer an alpha is what it is. It's a 0.1.0. So Timescale library, it added financial functions such as querying the candlestick financial tickers, such as the open, close, low, high, and volume-weighted prices from time series data. So if you aren't familiar with Timescale, it's all about time series data. Yeah, we had a great interview with Dave Lucia where we talked about that, and I'll include a, a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, I, I helped with some of that, but Timescale has been a dream to work with. So if you haven't had the opportunity yet, it, it's getting closer. The Timescale library is getting closer to being really, 
really critical to a lot of like applications with time series data and time scale database. It's it's great. But speaking of which, we also released another library called Ecto Range. There's a number of other similar libraries like this, but this one in particular provides Ecto types compatible with Postgres about storing a variety of, of ranges, time ranges, date ranges, date time ranges, and integer ranges. I think uh, the killer feature in this one is that it also supports the indeterminate bounds. You know, like it's from this point to infinity, right? So that that Ecto range library has been posted. That's also by Dave Lucia, who helped with the uh, timescale library as well and helped manages that. These are all, yeah, good stuff. Well, that's everything for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.